Father, we are absolutely insufficient, O oh Lord. Our sufficiency is is of you, O oh Father. You have made competent, made us competent ministers of the new covenant, is what Paul says, O oh Lord. And let that be true, even for all of us, O oh Lord, that who minister here out from this pulpit and from this Father, this instrument, the musical instrument, everyone who ministers, O oh Lord, make us competent ministers of the new covenant of the spirit, not of the letter, the letter which kills knowledge, which just only puffs up. It's love, O oh Lord, which builds up, Lord. I pray, Father, that, Lord, even as we hear your word, Lord, we will experience your love and your grace, your firmness, your discipline. And yet, Lord, we will understand that behind all your all your discipline, there is there is an intention of redemption. And enable us, Lord Father, to see that heart of the Father this morning, even as we meditate upon your word. Grant us grace to that end, we pray. We thank you, we praise you, we give you glory for in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, uh, once again, uh, we will look at the life of David, the one guy who said, I have sinned. And the Lord spoke about him that the Lord took away his, his sin. He learned that every man is driven by his own lusts and is enticed. Yeah. We will look at that place in James chapter 1 verse 13 to 15. Let no one say when I'm, when he's tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. <laughs> Nor does he himself tempt anyone. He withdraws his present and then we fall into temptation. That is the reason why our constant prayer is, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Watch and pray that we be not led into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we understand all these things. Now when we learn from the life of David, we vicariously put ourselves in his position and and understand that, boy, we are also capable of that, right? Maybe if we had, if we, if we would have, if we had enjoyed so much of his blessing and so much of his grace, we would have done worse things than what he did. Imagine the guy was blessed like crazy, left hand and center, and uh, enjoyed so much of success in the ministry, in so much of, so many victories, and, you know, he still, still stayed humble, right? But if he would have enjoyed so many victories, boy, uh, nobody would be able to catch us. We would be somewhere, and and you would, God would have allowed something something drastic to to happen to us that we would fall nose down, no? So like bungee jumping, no? Right there without the bungee, yeah, without recovery only. So we never um, take these lessons for granted. We examine ourselves. We don't say this part of scripture is not for me. <laughs> Every part of scripture is for us. So we learn. Therefore, but each one is tempted, it says in James chapter 1 verse 14. He's tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Desires are not bad. It's desires gone wrong is bad. Okay. And enticed. And that says verse 15. But one is tempted. When then with desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin, when it is fully grown, what does it bring? It brings forth death. Well, that's what we'll be observing 
in the life of the sweet psalmist of Israel. So, Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 26, it says onwards, When the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah had her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when her mourning, mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. She bore him a son. And the things that David had done displeased the Lord. So quickly, huh? you get married. Hmm? Interesting. You think that it's not going to raise any eyebrows? Well, even if you think that, God's eyebrows are already raised. <laughs> even before you did all this, right? That's what happens to all of us, no? Everything may look absolutely fine on the outside, but we know that something has changed. We have lost that sense of fellowship from God, with God. That's what we call as deadness. That's the nature of sin. It's deceitful. It's deceitful in nature. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 to 14. And it says, Beware brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the what God? Isn't it interesting? We have a living God. It's not dead. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's what it is. Sin is always deceitful. It does not show its true colors. Okay. It doesn't show you um, what it's going to produce. It only, it's only going to show it's the pleasure that you're going to enjoy when you take part of it. That's what uh, God wants Cain in Genesis chapter 4, right? We know this very well. Was uh, if you have the KJV, if you don't mind, just the KJV 6 and 7. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shall not thou be accepted? If thou doest not well, sin lieth. Actually, the other translations will use the word croucheth. Crouching. It's like a lion. Crouching. You remember crouching. You always get this image. We looked at this several times. It's a predator. Yeah, Sin is a predator. And unto thee shall be his desire. That's sin's desire. And thou shalt rule over him. Sin crouches. He hides. He never throws his, shows his true colors. He says, don't take me seriously. The problem is, we never see the immediate consequences of our actions. But we don't realize that, that it's eating up our soul. Especially when you commit things in secret and you think that nobody's watching us and you continue to enjoy that sin, you don't understand because you don't see any tangible results immediately. You don't understand it's eating up your soul. It's making you lean in your soul. It's, it does not mean that everything is okay. That's the nature of sin. He deceives. He deceives. Notice the pronoun. Okay, It's a personal pronoun. He 
deceives. It's not it. It. It's like, what is it? It's he. Okay. Remember? Um, as through one man, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and death passed through all men, for all have sinned. And then the law came. Okay. The two words in um, Greek, Eserkomai, para Eserkomai. <laughs> Eserkomai means just came, it's enter. Para Eserkomai man came and stood next to. What what came next? So, so law came next and stood by sin and magnified it. Then you understood what the the nature of sin was in its totality. It's remarkable. Sin entered and who entered later? Law entered. And when law entered, it just stood next to sin and it magnified sin and it says sin became exceedingly sinful. That's what Paul says in, 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 um, in Romans chapter 7. But before we go there, the deceitful nature of sin is that it hardens because we don't see any tangible results for our actions, immediate results, of course, I'm talking about. And therefore we don't tend to repent. Immediately. You understand that? That's the reason why we harden our heart. That's the reason why the ministry of the Holy Spirit is so important in our lives that we don't lose that sensitivity to sin. For when the Holy Spirit comes, He convicts the world of sin. So when conviction is gone, then you know that He has departed. And therefore your heart is hard. Right? So, sin hardens. Sin is deceitful. And the thing, we don't understand the true nature of sin. It is that it is exceedingly sinful. Uh, Can you turn to Romans chapter 7 and verse 12 onwards. Therefore the law is holy. And the commandment is holy and just. So when the law came, has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not, but sin. That it might, what? Appear sin. That is what the, that's the whole point. Other translations will use the word that it might become exceedingly sinful, that it might show what the true color of sin is. So when the law comes, it just unpacks and unfolds the very nature of sin. For example, Jesus, when he came, he says, it, you, you heard it was said that, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I tell you that when you lust after a woman in your heart, you have already, hmm, what? <laughs> Committed adultery with her in her heart, in your heart. It unpacks the nature of sin. It appears, okay, certainly not, but sin that it might appear sin was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become what? Exceedingly sinful. That is the reason why we want to study the scriptures to understand what the nature of our sin is. It is not, this is not sins. It is sin. It's a power. It's a person. Sin. That is, we don't commit uh, sins and therefore we become sinful. We are sinful and therefore we commit sins. We keep hearing that all the time, right? It's exceedingly sinful. Be it small, be it large, it is sinful. Do you know why? Because the wages of sin is what? Death and we can never pay back 
whatever we have done, we have come, whatever uh, debts that we have committed against God, we can never pay it back. Whether it looks small to your eyes or whether it look big, looks big to your eyes. You only look at it in the tangible. You look at sin in terms of time frame. But you know what God looks at, how God looks at it? He looks at it in terms of eternity. That is the reason why he says there will be what there? Weeping there and gnashing of teeth all the time. You only see anger in small measure. You, but you know what God looks at it? He looks at it in the, in, in the light of eternity. He sees the effects of sin all through eternity. And therefore he says, you know what, even if it is small, let me tell you something, Vijay, you will not be able to pay back. That small thing. For example, let me show you a very interesting um, parable. If you turn with me to um, Luke's Gospel chapter 7. Luke's Gospel chapter 7 and verse 40 onwards. This is of course um, Jesus at the Pharisee's house, right? 40 to 42. Alright? That's all. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher or rabbi, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. One owed 500, the other 50. And when they had nothing, that's the point. It's like this, no. One guy got 35 and failed. Sorry, 34 and failed. 35 marks is for pass mark. 34 and failed. And the other guy got 10 marks and failed. And the other fellow got 5 marks and failed. And the other fellow got 0. All of them missed the mark. That's the result. You know, on the day, or when you look at the newspaper, those days we used to have newspaper, by the way, okay? Uh, you, you, your time also? We didn't still didn't have computer and all the jazz, okay? Now the computer has come. Hmm? Those days we had newspaper and we used to look for our, uh, for our number, hall ticket number, whether it is there or not. Okay? You pass, I mean, you failed or pass will come. Okay, so let's say you failed. Okay, and you go and see your result. 34 marks you got out of 35. That's your pass mark. Another fellow got 5. Will this 34 marks guy go and say, <laughs> Are, I'm so better than you? Nonsense. He will not say. You fell short. You fell short, period. You failed. The point is that you both of you did not have sufficient money to pass the man. You, you couldn't cut it, period. So, both of you had nothing to pay back. So, both of you had nothing. She owed 500, you owed 50, but both had nothing. So, what are you going to say? I, I only owe 50, you owe 500, I'm better than you. No, you don't have anything. That's what you're not seeing. Simon, you see, watch that you have nothing to give back to God. And therefore, that is the reason why sin should look exceedingly sinful, that in you there is what? Nothing good. Nothing. Nothing good in you. The wages of sin is death and we can never pay back. It's impossible to pay back a holy God. Like pastor was talking to, you know, the other day about Catholicism, no? That all your works, whatever your works are, what do you think? You can appease a holy God? What do you think, Islam? With all your works, you can appease a holy God? What? What? What fallacy? Your entire premise itself is wrong because you do not have a proper understanding of who God is in His totality. He's so holy, so righteous. 
Therefore, we never take sin lightly. Okay. Because sin is what? Like leaven, right? It's a little leaven. It's enough. Oh, I just have a small leaven. Just wait for some time. The whole thing is gone. One small lie is enough. With Before you know it, your whole head is full of lies. L-I-C-E, not L-I-E-S. Okay, L-I-E-S also. Huh. <laughs> Both. Both L-I-E-S and L-I-C-E. Both. You just give it an inch before you know. That is the reason why Jesus said, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And what did they say? Oh, we did not carry bread. Yo. I'm not talking about bread. I'm talking about the teaching, the doctrine, which will allow you to tolerate sin. So when we are not going to wait until we commit the sin like David, right? Okay. Still I have not done it. So I don't have to pray it. No, 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 no. I mean, isn't it how often do we actually read Psalm 51 in a year? Isn't, isn't it interesting? First of all, many people don't even read it. Or even if they read it, oh, we have heard it so many times. You see. You know, there's one song which I never get tired of hearing is When I Survey. I sang it in the morning. Really? It's a survey. Okay. It's a surveying of the cross. It is not look. You have to survey. Every time you look, you, when you survey the cross, you'll find something. When you look, you will only see. When you survey, that's a different adjective, right? Or rather verb. So, we do not wait until we commit sin like David. We preempt it. And we say, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Lord, enable me to watch and pray that I may not lead into temptation. The spirit is willing, but I know my flesh is weak. So, David goes home with his new wife. And he thinks everything is fantastic until he doesn't realize that God, it says what he did was displeasing in the sight of God. It's what? Displeasing. God was displeased. Without faith it is it is impossible to please God. And everything which is not of faith is sin. So, if that were the definition of sin, then we are all in David's shoes. So what does God do? Let's go to Second Samuel and chapter 12 and let's read. That's by the way of introduction. And let's uh, meditate on Second Samuel chapter 12 and let's read from verse 1 onwards. Then the Lord sent Nathan. Who is Nathan? The prophet. The question, we'll just stop there. That's enough for us actually today. <laughs> really? The Lord sent Nathan is itself a tremendous action of act of mercy. Tremendous act of mercy. How can they hear unless they somebody is what? Sent. Can God send Nathan to us is a question though. The blessing of the prophetic word or will, will we despise it? Jeremiah chapter 36 verse 22 onwards. 22 to 36, 26, 22 to 26, that's enough. 
Now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with a fire burning on the hearth before him. And it happened when Jehudi had read three or four columns of Jeremiah's prophecy. Just columns, paragraphs. Three, four columns was enough for him to get frustrated. The king cut it with the scribe's knife and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth until the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. What do you do? That's the reason why he says, don't quench the who? The Holy Spirit. He is quenching. Right there in front of his eyes, quenching the Holy Spirit. Put fire. Put water by putting the word into the fire. That's the irony of it all. But you know what? The, the, the word was shut as what? Fire in his bones. Jeremiah's bones. He's not going to stop. You know what he's going to do? You, you cut all the scroll and put it into the fire, right? He's going to add some more now. You would have got only, what, 50, 40 chapters maybe of Jeremiah. Now because you put it in fire, you're going to get some 52, some 50 odd chapters. 50 or 51, 52 chapters in Jeremiah. And it happened when Jehudi heard the three and he put it in the fire. Okay, then, next verse 24. Yet, they were not afraid, nor did they tear their garments. There was no repentance. The king nor any of his servants who heard these words. Remember Josiah? When he just heard the, not just the words of Jeremiah, he just read the, the law and he was convicted. And he tore his garments. You see, that is conviction. That is, no, that is, that is how we know that the Holy Spirit there is there inside of us. When immediately conviction comes. Nevertheless, Elnathan, Deliah and Gomariah implored the king not to burn the scroll, but he would not listen to them. And then verse 26, not modernly so, and the king commanded Jerahir, Jerahmil, the king's son, Sariah, the, king, the son of Azriel, and Shalamiah, the son of Abdil, to seize Baruch, the scribe, and Jeremiah, the prophet. But the Lord hid them. You know what? So many people, the Lord has to hide the prophetic from them. They read the word, but it is hidden from them. They, it's not that they don't have the written word. Because they have already burned the word in their hearts, it's hidden from them. That is the reason why Jesus says, I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, but you have revealed them to babes. The prophetic is hidden from so many people. You know why? Because they have despised the word of God which has come over and over and over to them and they are not able to understand the scriptures. They don't have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That is the reason why Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 7, he says, think on the things that I have written to you. Who is going to give you understanding? The Lord is going to give you understanding. It is the Lord who gives us understanding. If the, if the scriptures are hidden from us, my dear brothers and sisters, it is a judgment of God over our lives. It's a judgment of God. I sometimes wonder, is it possible for God to, for, for us in this day and age not to have the Bible? In that, if it's not available in the printed form, it's definitely available in digital form. Is it not possible for us to hide it somewhere in some, some, in some pen drive somewhere and then we can access it even if we are, you know, if somebody comes and burns all the Bible? It's not that the word is not available to us. In fact, it's available. Left, right and center, it's available in its, in plenteous form. But the problem is the voice of God is hidden. The voice of the prophetic is hidden from us. The voice of the prophetic is hidden from us. That's the reason why it says when Jesus goes to his, his, his hometown and he's not able to do many miracles there and he says he marveled because of their unbelief. It was hidden from them. And what did they do? 
they wanted to kill the prophetic voice they wanted to subdue and 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 uh, and cut off the voice of the prophet from their midst but look at jeremiah his attitude let's turn to jeremiah chapter 18 verse 18 onwards then they said come let us devise plans against jeremiah hmm for the law and you know why why should we devise plans against jeremiah for the law shall not not perish from the priest i know that the law shall not perish from the priest nor counsel from the wise nor the word from the prophet therefore what shall we do let us get rid of him come let us attack him with the that's exactly what is happening in these last days what do they do they slander the messenger They slander the messenger. And the moment you slander the messenger, what happens is that there's already cloud before your eyes. You're not able to understand God's ways anymore. You know why? Because there's already a cloud. There's a veil. Like pastor keeps telling us, no? Um, he says, uh, I don't know anything about any of my pastors. And he says, thank God. You know why? Because I'm able to love them. I'm able to love them. I don't even want to know, he says. What wisdom in those words, right? Just imagine, no? You know something about somebody. We don't know whether it is right or wrong. And the, and when he speaks a word, we need that word for our situation. But we will not receive it, you know why? Because we have some kind of a preconceived notion and idea about that person and then what happens immediately the voice of the prophetic gets shut in our lives you know why because we have somehow attacked such a reason why the dangerous the most dangerous sin i believe is not adultery it's slander things that come out of our mouths And then he says, come, let us attack him with the tongue and let us not give heed to any of his words. You know, why they like that? This is essentially the spirit. They said, and the people are saying, you know, but it is the demonic in them. Because they know that the law shall not perish from the priest. Second, they know that the counsel shall not perish from the wise. And third, they know that the word shall not perish from the prophet. That means whatever comes from the prophet Hmm, he's going to come to pass. So what do they do? Let us attack him. And you know what's verse 19? Look at what, they, what Jeremiah says. Look at his heart. He says, give heed to me, O Lord, and listen to the voice of those who contend with me. Shall evil be repaired for good, Lord? For they have dug a pit for my life. Remember, what did I do? That I stood before you to speak good for them, to turn away your Wrath from them. So why does the, why is the prophetic come into our life so that the wrath of God can be turned? That is the reason why the gospel is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Okay. So when God sends a prophet to us, you are blessed. Really. 
That is the reason why it says, those who labor among you in the word, they should be counted for double honor. You know why? They are literally, by studying the word and expositing the word in the way that it is supposed to be exposited, what are they doing? They are showing you who God is, so that you get your act right with God, and therefore you will be saved from what? Wrath of God. <laughs> wrath of man is nothing. Wrath of devil also is nothing. The ultimate wrath is the wrath of God. So what is going to happen? God is going to send the prophet Nathan. And he sent him. Thank God he could send a prophet. And I hope he can send a prophet to us. And let it not be said about us. A prophet is not without honor. Except in his own town. So what is Prophet Nathan going to do now? Prophet Nathan is going to expose the hypocrisy of David. By posing a parable. (laughs) It's going to be a parable now. That's the wisdom of God. The Lord knows how to trap people in their own craftiness. You know, David did it, no? He somehow tried to uh, mess up Uriah. I did a lot of in, in, he was a, what a strategy, huh? Everybody's gonna think, see how magnanimous the king is. He has accepted this woman who was his best friend's wife and taken her, her to himself. Really, David, a great man. The craftiness. And what is going to God, God? What God is going to do? He's going to do something like this. Job chapter five, verse thirteen. If I'm right, I hope that's uh, that's the right verse. He catches the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the cunning comes quickly upon them. It's going to come onto you, David, and you don't even realize that he's going to cra- catch the wise in their own craftiness. And you know where um, where uh, this particular verse is quoted? Turn to First Corinthians chapter three, and you'll see this verse. First Corinthians chapter three. If I'm right, yes, it is chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. And verse number 5. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, verse 3, verse 13, uh, verse 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 18. Yeah. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, you know what we call as worldly wise, street smart. Okay. Street smart. You try to be street smart with God. You know, people take a lot of pride in that. They got away. And somebody else gets trapped. Because that fellow, poor fellow is a little innocent or, you know, he's not as street smart as you. He's innocent. He's not, doesn't have so much of guile as you have. So much of cunning like the way you have. The cunning craftiness of men. And you thought, are you got away. You know, remember how we boast when we used to have one jump, uh, we used to have one um, guava stall right in front of our school, you know, when we were kids, no? Right in front of our school, no? So, um, 
just after the school gets over, they, they open the gates and everybody rushes out and this fellow is waiting for uh, this, the kids to come out and slowly our one of us, one of us, including me, I think those days, I also did it. We flick one thing. Nicely we flick it and go. Huh? And then, oh, re, our friends will say, are, re, Vijay, you are so smart. Re. How you flicked it, Baba? Oh. And we used to flick it not because we loved guavas, just to get the pleasure of flicking it, actually. That is the reason why Augustine in his book, in the Confessions, he says, Lord, after he, uh, after he becomes a believer, he writes his confessions and he remembers the sin that he committed when he was a kid. He went into his neighbor's vineyard, jumped over the wall, stole his grapes and came and jumped out and threw the grapes. He just stole to enjoy the pleasure of stealing. And he cries and weeps and he says, Lord, confessions by Augustine, weeps. And he says, let anyone, let no one what? Deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, oh, you used all your worldly wisdom to cover up your sin. Let him become a fool first so that he may be made wise. For the wisdom of this world is what? Foolishness of God for it is written. He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And that's exactly what is going to happen to David. God is going to catch him in his own craftiness. Oh, Oh, you became smart, huh? David? Kase sikha? Esav kuch? Kahin se nahi sikhne ke koi aushakta nahi hai. Sabhi ke andar hai ho. Am I right, doctor? Everybody has got that craftiness, that satanic seed in the old man. The nature is there. The old man is get, getting corrupt because of what desire, desires? Deceitful desires, it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, you put off the old man and put on the new man. It's a deliberate action that we need to do. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to be renewed in the attitude of our mind. Because in our mind, there are pretensions. Do you know that? Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4, 5 and 6 in KJV, if you don't mind. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Hmm? Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ and uh, having readiness to revenge. Is it is it NIV where he uses the word pretension? Pretension? Every pretension? I'm sorry. Doctor? Yeah, thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was NIV. It was not KJV. Yeah, so it says, the weapons of we fight with are not weapons of the world. You see that? On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. Verse 4 will say, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war according to the world. We demolish arguments, verse 5, and every what? Pretension. Ah. That sets itself against the knowledge of God. Pretensions. We have pretensions. You know that, that pretension itself is the iniquity that's, that's, that strengthens our sin. You pretend. Hmm? 
and sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take, and of course he's not talking about knowledge, I hear, I believe he's talking about epignosis, not just knowledge, in terms of head knowledge, experiential knowledge. And we take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Just let me just check this out for you please, before I uh, go to the next verse. Mm. Ten, it's five, right? Ten, five. Hmm. Okay, knowledge of God. Alright. And we take captivity every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Okay, so fine. So every pretension, and there are pretensions, and God is going to catch David in his own what? Craftiness. Okay. We should be caught in our own craftiness, by the way. God has to expose our craftiness. Sometimes, you know, he has to catch us off guard. That is when our real you gets exposed. We are all good. Suddenly something will come and try to, oh, we try to uh, put our computers down and minimize all the windows. Ah, 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 ah. Oh, ho, ho, ho. Mm, and we have all nowadays latest technology. All windows minimized, all windows closed with five fingers. All pretensions <laughs> in five fingers, no? Kya technology hai? The technology is helping us. That is the reason why it has become an invention of evil, Baba. It's not because the invention in itself is wrong. Because it's in the hands of a man who is evil. Who is given over to evil desires and lusts. You know, first time when I showed it to somebody and I said, Oh, hi, five fingers, you can do all these things on the on the computer. Yeah. Five fingers, easy to sin and cover up sin like this. It's <laughs> right. It's so easy to cover up sin like this, no? And God has to catch us in our craftiness before we can enter into hell and into eternity, not into hell. Hopefully, boy. Otherwise, we would be deceiving ourselves, my dear brothers. That's what God is going to do by sending the prophet. Boy, the prophet has to be wise. Okay. He is going to conjure up a story, okay? This is what we call as divine wisdom. This is not the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world is foolishness. He is going to create a parable which is going to expose David's sin and catch him in his own craftiness. The leaven of hypocrisy in the heart of Dawood. David, actually, not Dawood, Dawood is Arabic, sorry. David is fine. David is what? The beloved. The beloved of God. Have you not the beloved of God? The beloved. Hypocrisy, the leaven in the beloved. The leaven in the beloved. That's possibly the title for today's message, maybe. I don't know. The leaven in the beloved. And by the way, um, before I forget, yesterday we were talking about um, um, Proverbs chapter 7. Uh, there's a beautiful... Uh, Pastor James preached so many years back in one of our youth meetings called Do Not Open That Door. Okay. And that, the a link to that message, it's in the description box or in the, your YouTube link. When you go to the YouTube webpage and when you click on yesterday's sermon, let's say, uh, that is yesterday's morning's teaching. In that description box, there's a link to Do Not Open That Door. And I would really strongly recommend um, old people, young people, doesn't matter. Okay. Don't see, don't say that, oh, I'm too old. No, I will not sin. No. As I said, Pruddhanari Pativrataha. So ensure that you um, 
have a, a decent look at that sermon and go through that as well. Alright, so pretension has to be exposed in David. The leaven in the beloved. Hmm. The leaven in the beloved has to be exposed. The leaven of sin, the leaven of hypocrisy, the leaven of compromise. The leaven of the ability to cut off the prophetic from your life. That's exactly what Herod does, right? The leaven of Herod is what? It cuts off the prophetic. It's given over to lust. The leaven of lust, the leaven of uncleanness has to be exposed. Therefore, the Lord sent Nathan. And he came to David now. And he's going to pose the parable. You can learn so many lessons on the parable itself. So many incredible uh, lessons there. So, this is what he's going to say. Let's go to Second Samuel chapter 12 and let's read from verse 1 onwards. Now again, then the Lord sent Nathan to David and he came to him and said to him, he came, I don't know, and there was no small talk, no? Hi Nathan, how are you? Everything is fine. Enter the dragon, bus ho gaya. No small talk. Uh, by the way, David, there were two Men in one city. One rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing. Except one little ooh lamb. A female lamb. That is okay. Which he had bought and nourished and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. You see how he's constructing the entire plot. And it was like a daughter to him. And a who came? A traveler came. You know what the word for traveler is? Honey dripper. That's the word. Huh? She's, the, the language in Hebrew actually, uh, actually shows the, all those nuances. I mean, we can use the word wayfaring man, traveler, the same, but Nathan is choosing his words in a parable so that he's gonna get to David and catch him in his own what? Craftiness. The leaven in the beloved. Traveler. I'm gonna come to that later, you know, in a, in a minute, okay? Who refused to take from his own flock, huh? And from his own herd to prepare one for the, what the, what the who? Why did he not use travel of a wayfaring man? There's a traveler, there's a wayfaring. The adjectives, my dear brothers, you have to be very, very careful because God is using specific words to open up the heart of the beloved. To show the leaven in his heart. Wayfaring man who had come to him, but he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And we'll stop here for a minute before we see the reaction of David, okay? Okay, because we have to examine our own heart. Who is the rich man in this tale? David. No brainer. Who is the poor man? Uriah. No brainer. So straightforward there, huh? Why the language of a shepherd? You forgot your roots. Psalm 78. 
verses 70, 71 and 72. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the... Oh, you forgot. He took you from the sheepfolds. Your father was not even going to give you a second look, by the way. Did you realize that, David? Your brothers despised you. Hmm? And then? From following the who? The oohs. Ah, you see the, the connection over here? From following the oohs that had young, he brought them, brought him. To do what? To rule? No, 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 no. To shepherd Jacob's people and Israel. Whose inheritance? His inheritance. What did he do then? Verse 72. What was he supposed to do at least? So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. This was your purpose. I took you from the sheepfolds to shepherd Israel and not to rule. No, no, no. Ruling is my job. You're only supposed to shepherd. We'll come back to that a little later. So that's the reason why the language is there and especially ooves is mentioned. So, very interesting. Plot is very, very clear over here for all of us. Maybe if you haven't seen it before, we'll see it for the first time. No problem. This is always the first time because I also saw it for the first time. Okay. So, <laughs> nothing, nothing uh, great about anybody over here. So, rich man is David. The poor man is Uriah. And who's Ulam? Bathsheba. That's very interesting. Her name is Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Baba. Bathsheba. Kompo muncho. Andadi. Bathsheba having bath in public. Bath means of course daughter. Daughter of Zion. Daughters of Zion. Roni Roni. Bathsion. Hmm, that's the word in, in, in Hebrew. Bath means daughter. Sion means Zion. Daughters of Zion. How are you dressed, daughters of Zion? Haughty? With your mascaras and your, and your tinglings and your anklets and your, what? Your dresses and the lack of dresses? Hmm. Bath. Sheva. That is Ulam here. So the rich man is David. Poor man is Uriah. The Ulambus. Bathsheba. Who's the traveler? Let's read. First Samuel chapter 14 verse 26. And then Proverbs chapter 5 verses 3 to 4. And when the people had come into the woods, there was what dripping? Honey dripping. Ah. Proverbs chapter 5 verses 3 to 4. For the lips of an immoral woman drip what? Honey. Ah, ah, ah. Her mouth is smoother than oil. But the end is she's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. What was it there for? The travelers was a spirit of lust. Or a desire to satisfy your appetite.
First Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 1 onwards. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. It is good for a man not to touch a. Everybody say that. Not to touch a. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife. And let each one, each woman have her own husband. And let's move on. It says, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. And likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And then verse 5, do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that, what? Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Ah! Lack of self-control. So what did God say? Let each one marry and have his own wife or husband. Well, the problem is, David, you didn't have to just have one wife, you had wives. Yes, the, the honey is not the problem. Where you sought for that honey is the problem. God gave you so many oofs, right? <laughs> you don't have a wife, you have wives. <laughs> and you have to take somebody else's. So what did you do? Second Chronicles, Second Samuel chapter 12 now. Verse 4. And the traveler came. is <laughs> amazing. How incredible the, trans, the transition from traveler to wayfaring. Isn't it interesting? How the transition happens now. The traveler comes to the rich man. And what does the rich man do? He refuses to take his own wife from his own heart, to prepare for the wayfaring man. That fellow is going to come and he's going to take, he's going to go. What is wayfaring man? Who is this wayfaring man? Job chapter 34 verse 8. You know who's that wayfaring man? Who goes in the company with the workers of iniquity and walks with wicked men? That is the wayfaring man. So what has happened? A traveler came in terms of one temptation. And instead of satisfying the desire with the resources that God has given you and within the boundaries that God has given you, what did you do? You went and became a wayfaring man now. And you took somebody else's move. God is using the language of sheep and shepherd. Because this man was once a shepherd. The once a shepherd who went after lost sheep. Remember that? A lion came 
and the bear came. Now, instead of being a shepherd, he has become a wolf now. You have hunted the very flock which you are supposed to shepherd. God did not call you to rule. God called you to what? Shepherd. Somebody said something, no? How do you differentiate between sheep and wolves? Just wait till lunch. Lunch will tell us what kind of an appetite you have. Like pastors, I remember something fantastic, right? Uh, I think one of the pastors' conference, he'll, and he says, how do you know whether between, between a sheep and a wolf? Whenever the wolf sees the sheep, he thinks biryani. How to devour them? I can never forget that in my mind. How to devour them? A hireling you are. What has happened? From being a shepherd, you become a wolf. I don't know if David would have realized the depravity of his own self had this incident not happened in his life. Incidents not happened in his life. Sometimes God allows certain situations in our lives to show us the depravity of our own soul. Or sometimes... He might allow somebody else to fail and he'll be watching you. How are you going to judge? You know what he was telling David through the parable? David, see from where you have what? Fallen. What were you? What have you become? Or rather, you were already this and this incident had to expose it. That is the reason why it says it's it's good for contentions. First Corinthians chapter seven. And verse one second, please. Uh, sorry, just a minute. So those who are, huh? Twelve, huh? No, no, not one eleven. Sorry, just a minute, please. No, no, no. Twelve two? No, no, no. What is it? What does it say? No, 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 no. No. Okay, wait. Sorry, just a minute, please. I, I know. I'll tell you the exact words, okay? First Corinthians eleven nineteen. Sorry, 1 Corinthians 11, 19. Okay, 18 and 19. 
for first of all when you come together as a church i hear there are divisions among you and it, and in part i believe it for there must be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you that i like that <laughs> it's a scary word so whenever the divisions happen those who are approved will be revealed hearts of people will be revealed when situations come into people's life your heart will be exposed so that is the reason why it's happening over here hmm. david's heart was going to be exposed did this situation come into his life to see what was actually truly in his heart that is the reason why you know what david uh, jesus says in deuteronomy chapter 11 uh, chapter 8 he says i hunger I, I i humbled you i proved you i caused you to hunger i humbled you to show you what is in your heart so that you may know that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of god i allowed situations in your life to see what was in your heart i allowed thirst to see to show your bitterness i allowed the amalekites to attack you so that you can see the depravity of your own flesh I allowed Moses to go into the top of the mountain for 40 days to see that you guys are idolaters at heart. Idolaters at heart. See from where you have fallen. So that is the reason why First Peter chapter 5 verse 1 onwards. The elders who are among you, I exhort you who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that should be revealed. What should you do? Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. Serving as what? Overseers. Yes, we'll use the word exercising oversight. Not by compulsion. Yeah, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion but willingly. As would have... As God would have you, not for shameful gain or filthy lucre, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So that when the chief shepherd comes, you will receive the clown of glory, which will never fade away. What did I call you to be? David, shepherd. And look from where you have fallen. You see the language God uses through Nathan to trap him? And catch him in his own craftiness and to expose the leaven in the beloved. <laughs> now comes David with his mouth. He'll open his mouth. Second Samuel chapter 15 now. Verse 4 onwards. And the traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. Wah! Sin is so dangerous. It's using the word traveler and wayfaring. It just takes from you, my dear brothers. That is the reason why it says, offer the instruments of your body to God. Do not offer the instruments of your body to sin. That's a wayfaring man. It's a passing pleasure. You know that, right? That's the reason why it's that word traveler and wayfaring. These are the, these are the similes and the metaphors that God is using through Nathan, the incredible wisdom of God to communicate a truth, my dear brothers. Do you understand how, how wicked we are at the core? We offer the instruments of our body not to uncleanness 
and to sin, but to God. And we become what? Slaves of righteousness, it says in Romans chapter 6. Maybe you should look at that verse. Right there. I was uh, 12 onwards. Therefore, do not let sin rule in your body. That you should obey it in its lust. As if sin is the master over there. That's the reason why, you know what, uh, this guy, what's his name? Oh, sorry. Uh, when God tells Cain, yeah, the guy is Cain there, okay. Uh, he says, he desires to have you. But you should rule over him, not it. And therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey him in his lusts. Oh boy. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. That fellow is a traveler and a wayfaring man. But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Boy, these are the things for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are no longer under law, but under grace. So that there's a wayfaring man and a traveler, dripping. Okay. The lips of an immoral woman drip honey. But at the end, it's like as bitter as wormwood, sharper than a two-edged sword. There are only two, two two-edged swords which is mentioned in the Bible. The word of God is called a double-edged sword and the lips of the immoral woman is also called double-edged sword. Uske baad recovery nahi. Ho gaya. Kam tamam. So he's telling David, look from where you have fallen. And then he's going to trap David in his, in his craftiness with something very interesting now. So the traveler came, he took the poor man's lamb, prepared it for the man who had come to him. Boy. Next go on. Verse 5. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. <laughs> oh boy. Oh, rich man is in a trap, Baba. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord has, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall. Did you hear that anywhere, anywhere before? Huh? No. You know, there's a very interesting word. The word for shall surely die never occurs anywhere in the Bible except in this place. That we are talking about shall surely die in Genesis chapter 3 or, or 2. That is not. You know what is, what is the, what is the word for the, in the, in the, in the Hebrew for this word? Shall surely die comes from the Hebrew word ben moth. Moth is death. Okay. Ben moth is son of death. This guy he says he's going to be the son of death now. That's the word he's using. You see the how the words that come out of our mouth expose our by our words you shall be condemned and by your words you shall be justified. Oh, this son of death, he says. The English kind of placates the intensity of the word, no? <laughs> English, I told you, right? English kind of always like placates when he says, uh, walk thou before me and be thou blameless. How should we actually translate it? Walk thou before my faces. My good side and the severe side and be what? Blameless. Presence shall go before you with you and you shall be, you shall have what? Rest. My faces will go with you 
and you will have rest. That means what? You will know my good side and you will know my bad side. You will know the goodness of God and you will know the severity of God. You do not want to see my other side, right? Oh, yes, Lord, I don't want to see you. Then. Then you will have rest. You see how the language kind of plickets and tones down the intensity of the of the of the message which is trying to be, which is trying to be communicated through the Holy Spirit. Of course, we don't have to learn languages. Languages give you a big head. You know, this is only to understand the spirit behind the letter, because we are not ministers of the letter; we are the ministers of the spirit. So he says, "You shall be the son of you, this son of death." Oh my goodness! He is going to die now. Look at the words that are coming out of his mouth. And he shall restore. How much? Oh, fourfold. For the one lamb. Okay, four, huh? Four. You sure, right, David? Sure, four, right? Four. Four, no? This child will die. Amnon will die. Absalom will die. Adonijah will die. Will die. And one day you will cry, Absalom, Absalom, would to God, I died in your place. Be careful. Because he had what? Because he had done this thing and because he had no pity. I got you. Got you. You know what Nathan said? Verse 7. You are that man. Thank God. Exclamation mark. Stop there. Let's go to Romans chapter 2 verse 1. Onwards. Therefore you are (laughs) inexcusable, O man. Whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself for you who judge what? Practice the same things. You know, first chapter of Romans is very interesting. He is going to talk about the sin in the man without conscience. And he says, like, you know what? I'll show you, not turn to... Jose, I think. Jose, Jose, Jose. No, no, no. Jose, uh, one second. Let me tell you. Just a minute, please, okay? Uh, Amos, chapter 1. Let's read one, verse 1 onwards. The words of Amos. You know who is it? Amos? He is a shepherd who was among the sheep breeders of Tekoa. He was just not a shepherd. He was also a sheep breeder. No? He breeds sheep. I like that. That's what a sh- pastor has to do. He has to breed sheep. <laughs> He's just not how to be a shepherd. He has to also make more sheep. Okay, anyway, that's the pastor's job. Which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Isaiah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the, king of, the son of Joash, the king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And then he says, and he said, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. 
the pastures from the uh, pastures of the shepherds mourn and the top of Carmel withers. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Next verse. Uh, verse uh, 7, 6 one, six one. For three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. So first came what? Damascus. Second came Gaza. And then verse 9 I guess. Uh, uh, yeah, verse 9. For three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Who's first? First came, first came what? Damascus, next came Gaza, that is Philistines, and next came Tyre. Okay, verse 11 now. For three transgressions of Edom, and for four I will not turn away its punishment. Oh, Edom, Esau, that's, that's exactly, deserve it God, deserve it. Come on, preacher, prophet, come on, we are listening to your message. They deserve to die. Who deserves to die? Uh, Damascus deserves to die. Uh, Philistine deserves to die. Uh, Tyre deserves to die. Edom deserves to die. And then, verse 12. Three transgressions of Ammon. Oh! They also deserve to die. And then, verse 15. I think next chapter, I think. I think. Uh, three transgressions of Moab. Fantastic. Chapter 2, verse 1. Huh? And then, verse 4. Three transgressions of Judah. <laughs> oh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody likes people, people pointing fingers at everybody else, no? Okay. Whom are you judging first? Damascus. They deserve it for what they did to us. Second, Philistines. They deserve it for what they did to us. Third, Tyre. They deserve it for what they did. Edom. They deserve it for what they did to us. Ammon. They deserve it for what they did to us. Moab. Six or over, no? Then God says, I mean, six is the number of man. I have to complete it now. For Three transgressions of Judah. Three transgressions of Judah. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 9. And verse 25 onwards. 25 and 26. Look at this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will punish all who are, what? Circumcised with the uncircumcised. Okay, fine. Egypt, Judah, Edom, people of Ammon, Moab, and all who are in the farthest corners who dwell in the wilderness, for all these nations are uncircumcised. And all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in their hearts. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, says Romans chapter 2. Go to Romans chapter 2 now. Verse 1. For, therefore, you are inexcusable, O man. Whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge, you <laughs> condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the very same things. And the next same, next verse. But we know the judgment of God is according to truth. How is the judgment of God? According to truth. Verse 6. Judgment of God is according to his deeds. Verse 11. Judgment of God is without 
partiality. Verse 13. For not the hearers of the law who are just, who are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law, and then go, go on. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law, do by nature things contained in the law, meaning the judgment of God is according to how much you know. Second Corinthians chapter 8 verse 11, we know this well, 11 and 12 in fact. Yeah, verse 12, oh sorry, uh, 8, 8, 8, 8, 8, Second Corinthians chapter 8 verse 11, verse 12, verse 12. For it is, for if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not what according to one does not have. So according to the kind of knowledge that you have. And then verse, uh, 13 we finished. And verse 15. The judgment of God is according to the secrets of men. Right? And then verse 16. Judgment of God is by the standards of God. And who's the standards of God? Jesus Christ. That's the standard. It's a whole different study altogether, but I'm just showing you how God judges. Therefore, judge yourself first. Judge yourself severely. Matthew chapter 7 and verse uh, 1 onwards. Very interesting, no? Judge not that you not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be exactly the same. How many should, how many that fellow has to pay back? Fourfold. The same measure. And then? And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider what is there in your own eye? One huge plank is there. And what are you looking for? Speck. Plank versus speck. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye. And you do not look at the plank in your own eye. And verse 5. Hypocrite. What did I say? Leaven in the beloved. Right? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Judgment of God is according to truth, my dear brothers. And none of us knows the the entire truth, do we? Do we know the entire truth? No. Therefore, we never take the position of God. We only judge in the perimeters and in the appointed places where God has put us. For example, if I am a father, I am supposed to judge my family. Because I am a father, my wife and my children. Okay, within the parameters, I'm supposed to exercise authority and that exercise, that is not being a lord over the people, but to what? Every judgment of God is not punitive, it is redemptive. You know, we know that very well, right? So that we can win the brother over. That's the reason why he says, hand him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his body or his spirit, not, not his body, for his spirit may be saved or his soul may be saved on the, on the day of of judgment. So, this is the reason why we, even when we judge, we only judge within the context that God has placed us under. 
understand that very very important truths therefore judgment of god is according to truth it is according to your deeds it is without partiality it is according to the knowledge that you possess therefore it says he who knew the master's will and he did not obey will have how many stripes more stripes or less stripes more stripes he did not know the master's will and he did not do it less stripes like pastor was saying the more the knowledge you get the more miserable you'll become oh what a statement that is oh because you do not have the the life inside of you to keep it understand that so judge yourself severely so we don't look at others we don't point fingers at others we judge ourselves severely all right so here no pity right so let's go back to second samuel chapter 7 we have to end in hope today baba otherwise it's all scary only we have to we have, we have to end in hope today please okay i am also willing i am eager to end in hope but okay we'll just finish this okay so david's anger was greatly aroused against the man and he said to nathan as the lord lives to the man who has, who has done this shall surely die and he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had done he had no pity then nathan said to david you are the man thus says the lord god of israel now you know what he's saying let me tell you what the boss says you thought you were the boss here right let me tell you what the boss says both of us have only one boss boss abhi kuch bolne wala hai privileges first i anointed you who anointed god anointed i delivered you i gave you the master's office i gave you a ministry i would have given you much more whenever you see much more grace five things what about your actions you despise my commandment you did evil in my sight you killed uriah with the sword you took his wife ah, don't tell me somebody else killed no 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 you gave supari to amon you did it oh see yadrichikal coincidences leave nanna leave 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 nuvu jese vidanta no coincidence you did it i know exactly what you plotted you killed him with the sword of the people of amen oh yeah yeah you did it yes yes they might have shot the arrows but you did it so don't try to tell me david that you that you are that you are not responsible for this action i know precisely that you are the one who did it boy it came home ah huh? these are prophets who are not with who are not who are not who are not afraid to speak the truth and verse 10 now therefore finished over 
I mean, you don't want to look at the consequences. It's really depressing. Just read, read verse 13 to 14. Verse 12 onwards, actually. You did it secretly? Okay, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this, and how did you do it? You did it secretly. You know what you're doing? When you're doing it secretly, you're saying, you're thinking that the Lord is not going to watch you. You know what you're, what you're, what you're, what you're, what you're doing? You're making me a liar. You're making me a liar, David. God is not going to be mocked. However, so David said in verse 13, I have sinned. Mahatak agayalog. Abhitakamlog. Ponchke. I have sinned. Ponchke. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. But the problem is this, no? But because you did this, what did you do? Verse 14. You have given great occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. That's the problem. Who are the enemies of the Lord? Not Ammon and Moab and Edom. The entire spiritual hosts in the heavenly places are watching you and saying, Hey, this guy. This guy. Forget about David. One guy like Job was living an absolute righteous life. This fellow slanderer is saying, does Job fear God for nothing? What did you do? What did you do to me, David? You sinned against me. That broke God's heart. I told you, right? Don't break God's heart. We break God's heart when actually when believers do all these things, it breaks God's heart. It's deliberate, my dear brothers. It was willful. It was not ignorance. And he had warning after warning after warning and after warning. And verse 15. That's the reason why if you turn with me to Romans chapter 2, that's a powerful series of... Oh. Verses. You know, all this to to ensure that we take what seriously? Sin seriously. We walk circumspect. Like we become men of honor. You say, Lord, I judge myself severely. I'll become disciplined in my spiritual life. By the power of the Holy Spirit and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I will, I will walk in humility and uprightness of heart and I will say, Lord, if you take your hand from my life, I'm gone. I'm gone. Take heed, lest you think you stand, for you may fall immediately. It's only God's grace that we are still what we are today. If God were to remove his hand from our life, Put yourself in David's position. Vicariously identify yourself with his sin is the point of the whole thing. Otherwise, we miss the point. Right? 
like Jesus himself identified vicariously with our sin when he went into the waters of baptism. What we do is we vicariously identify ourselves with the sin of every person who committed sin in the Bible, even with Cain. Don't ever say, I'm better. Because in our flesh, there is nothing good. And one, and one lady came to Spurgeon and said, I wonder how God never showed mercy on Esau. How can he hate Esau? And you know what Spurgeon said, Madam, the greatest, greater, greater mystery is, how could God show mercy on Jacob? That is a greater mystery for me. It's not, why did God hate Esau? Forget about that. How could God love Jacob? That's the greater mystery. Forget about all the theology of, uh, what is that? Um, Calvinism and Arminianism and election and predestination. Understand that. However, because by this deed, so go to Romans chapter 2, yes. Okay, turn to, yeah, thank you, doctor. It's verse 22 onwards, actually. But you call yourself a Jew. Hmm? Actually, it starts there. Verse uh, 17. Hmm? But you call yourself a Jew. Rest on the law. Make your boast in God. Know his will. Approve the things which are excellent. Being instructed out of the law. You yourself are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes. Having the form of knowledge and truth in the law, you therefore who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor, abhor idols, do you rob temples? Why? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For the name of God is what? Blaspheme among Gentiles because of you, as it is written. So verse 14 of Second Samuel, chapter 12. However, because by this deed, you gave great occasion to the enemies of God to blaspheme. The child also who is going to be born to you shall, what? Oh, he is going to be the son of death. Not the other person. Look at the words over here. Shall surely die. And verse 15. Nathan departed to his house. Over. Stop. Wahapar full stop laga. Laga denge. Baki ka story apne ko malum hai na. We don't want to go into this particular part. We'll go to the psalm. 51, please. Psalm 51. How does it start? Have mercy, Lord. That's all. Come boldly and confidently to the throne of grace to obtain mercy. Not forgiveness. Mercy. Have mercy upon me. What does he say? He doesn't say Yahuwah. He doesn't say, Oh Lord. Because it's gone, that relationship is gone now. 
Elohim is the word. According to your loving kindness. According to your loving kindness, have mercy upon me. According to your tender mercies, not just tender mercies, multitude of your tender mercies. What do you do? Plot out my transgressions. Mercy on me. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. You see, my, 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 my. Verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions. So you, I committed a sin. I transgressed your commandment. And I was empowered by iniquity. And therefore, my sin is ever before me. And now I realize it was just not Uriah, Lord. I broke your heart against you and you only have I sinned. And done this evil where? In your sight. You see how, how these words are written? It's not in the sight of men, Lord. It is not justified in the sight of men. It is justification in the sight of God that is, that is important. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. And then, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin my mother conceived me. You see, never here in this, um, to the best of my knowledge, he uses the word Lord. Have you seen? In this entire psalm? Turn to, I mean, if you can go there, I mean, we are looking at it carefully. You go, You can go and mark it in your own Bibles, if you will. It's, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Never Lord. I find that very significant. The sweet psalmist who could never speak about Lord, other than the Lord in every other psalm, he will not bring the word Lord in his entire psalm. Yehovah to nahi aayega. You know why? Cut ho gaya relationship because of sin. So what is he going to do? Let's go back to Psalm 51. I will acknowledge verse 3, verse 3 and 4. I will acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me and against you and you alone have I sinned that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Do you see this language somewhere? Turn to Romans chapter 3. Exactly. Verse 
verse 25 and 26. Whom God sent forth, set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance. God has passed over the sins that were previously committed and to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. That he might be what? Just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And therefore, Psalm 32, read from verse 1 and 2. And let's, let's go back to Psalm 51. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in his spirit there is no guile. And then, he goes, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. Proverbs 20.30, please. Proverbs 20.30 is a powerful verse. Proverbs 20.30. Blows that hurt. Cleanse away evil. As do stripes the inner depths of the heart. In ASB. Stripes that wound. Scour away evil. And strokes reach the inmost parts. NIV. Blows and wounds cleanse away evil and beatings purge the inmost being. NLT. Physical punishment (laughs) cleanses away evil. Such discipline purifies the heart. So what God is doing is disciplining David so that he can have a pure heart. Oh boy. Let's go back to Psalm 32 and verse 3 and 4. For a, no, no, Psalm 32. Psalm 32 and then Psalm 51. Both these Psalms we will look at, okay? When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me and vitality, my vitality was turned into drought of summer sailor. And then I acknowledged my sin. I do not hide my iniquity. I confess my transgression. You see the three things over there? Sin, transgression and iniquity. I committed the sin. I transgressed your commandment. I missed your mark. I transgressed your commandment and there was a power of lust which was empowering those old things. And I am confessing all of these things, please. Therefore he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity so that I will not sin. That's the whole idea. What should I deal with? I should deal with my iniquity so that I will not sin. Wash me thoroughly from my sin and cleanse me from my sin. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And then, for I acknowledge my transgression, my sin is ever before me. And go, go there before, before, uh, verse 1, 51, verse 1 and 2. Actually, we'll, let's look at just verse 1 and 2. How, how he uses these words, okay? Uh, Psalm 51 verses 1 and 2. Bl- both 1 and 2, can you put it together please? Blot out my transgressions, wash me from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. Blot out my transgressions, wash me 
from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I need the blotting out of my transgression. I need me, I, I need a, a thorough cleansing from my iniquity. That is the reason why sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is truth. Washing of the water by the word which cleanses your motives. That is the reason why we need the word of God. Because it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Everything needs cleansing. Thorough, thorough washing and cleansing and blotting out. Blot out. You know what blot out means? You know what God tells Moses, right? Step aside. I'm gonna blot. That's exactly what it means. Put a death blow to my transgressions. Whenever you look at it, whom do you look at? Jesus, exactly. That's what he said, right? Lord, uh, Moses says, Lord, blot my name out. No, 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 no. From the book of life. You cannot do that, Moses. Only my son can do it. Blot out my transgressions. So much you can actually meditate upon this. And you will see Jesus written on every verse. Wash me from my iniquity. He was bruised for our iniquities, for our lawless deeds. And cleanse us, cleanse me from my sin. And then you know what? Let's go to verse 5 now. <laughs> Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. My mother conceived me. Lord, you know, one man of God calls it the sin of being. It's not the sin of doing. It's a sin of being. I do because I am. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. Sin, my mother conceived me. And what do you do? You desire truth not outward. In the inward parts and in the in hidden part, you make me to know wisdom. That is the reason why what we are in secret is what we truly are, right? So how do we, how are we going to do it now? Verse 7 now. 7, 8 and 9. If you can put these three verses together in the, in the same slide, it will be great. Purge me. Yeah, thank you. Purge me with hyssop. Okay? And I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. Hide your phrase from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. So let us see. Purge me with what? Hyssop. Where do you see Hyssop? The Passover lamb. He became the Passover lamb. And therefore you can wash me. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Make me, that means I just completely lost my hearing now. That means it's over. I lost my hearing. How do I know it? Nine months I didn't know. I mean, till Nathan came. Make me to hear. Then what? Hide your face from my sin. How am I gonna, how are you gonna hide, how am I gonna hide my face from your sin, Baba? Psalm 22 verse 24. Look at that. We looked at it some time back. This is, we know the psalm very well, right? 
This is my God, my God, how, why have you forsaken me? This is the psalm of Jesus. For he has not despised, not abode the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he, what? Hidden his face from him. He showed him his face. So that he can hide his face from us. She showed him. Who showed him his face? God showed Jesus his face. So that he could hide his face from us. Nobody can see the face of God and live. So God showed Jesus his face. What? Which side of his face? The severity side of his face. So that we could have the goodness side. And that we could be brought back to repentance. And then, verse 10 of Psalm 51. Create in me. What? You know, this particular word create comes from the Hebrew word bara. Bereshit bara. In beginning God created. That is the exact word bara. That means recreate my heart. That means give me a new heart, Lord. Give me a new heart. Take away from my heart the heart of stone and grant me a heart of what? Flesh. A hard heart which has grown hard through the deceitfulness of sin. Take it away from me, Lord. Take it away from me. Create in me a clean heart. And then renew a steadfastness. I I want just not a spirit. The right spirit, a steadfast spirit, a steadfast devotion to you, Lord. A steadfast devotion not to sin anymore. And he never says, oh Lord, isn't it? He says what? Oh God. He never uses the word Lord anymore. It's conspicuous in its absence. What? The word Lord. Because he lost his covenant with God. Remember? Peter? Simon, 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 Satan has asked me permission to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail you. Oh Lord, no, 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 even if everybody forsakes me, I'm not going to, Luke chapter 22, we don't have to turn there. And then, when the, when the, when Jesus uh, uh, rises from the dead, and uh, the angel comes and tells, uh, go and tell the disciples, and Peter, isn't that interesting? Go and tell my disciples and Peter. Because Peter has to be restored now. So he says, create in me a clean heart. What? Oh God! I lost my relationship with you. I can't even call you my Lord. Adonai is not there anymore. Yahweh, I can't call you Yehovah. What does it tell me this? Your iniquities will hide what? will bring separation between you and me. Your sin will bring separation between you and me. And you want to value that relationship? Oh boy. Value it. Really. Value it. Don't ever, ever, ever take those things for granted. And then verse 11. Do not cast me away from your presence. And what does presence mean? Faces. I told you, right? And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He's scared actually. Really, really scared. I think he must have thought about Saul. He must have definitely thought about Saul. Saul ko to ho gaya. The Holy Spirit departed from Saul 
And the evil spirit from God came unto Saul. Lord, he says, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me, Lord. Most well. Restore to me the joy. I lost joy. And where is joy? In the spirit, right? Righteousness, peace and joy in the spirit. That is the kingdom of God. And uphold me with your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. In other words, unless and until you do a deep work inside of me, O Lord, I cannot teach transgressors your ways because I don't, myself don't know your ways clearly. In verse 14, I'm just reading the psalm. (laughs) I don't have to exposit it. Deliver me from guilt of bloodshed. O God, the God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. And then the transition happens. Ganmi, you are the God of my salvation. You are God of my righteousness. I don't have righteousness of my own. Then, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Why? Verse 16. For you do not desire sacrifice. What you desire is obedience. Right? Or else I would have given it. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Just give me a minute. Verse 15. Just Just a minute. That that word is not Yahweh, okay? It's not there. That's what I was. I knew that this is not there. Yahweh is not there. Okay, fifty-one, uh, seventeen. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. And then, verse eighteen. Do good to your, do good in your good pleasure to Zion. And what? Build the walls of Jerusalem. The walls have come down from my life. Build back those walls. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. With burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bulls on your altar. You know what God doesn't need? He doesn't need sacrifice. What does He need first? Our heart. Our obedience. That our heart is steadfast and right with Him. You know, these are the lessons that we learn from David. But the greatest lesson for me is the way he responds by faith. Let's look at that verse and we will stop. Second Samuel chapter 
12 and verse 21. Then his servant said to him, okay, by the way, you remember he changes his clothes, etc. Pastor James preached that also. I'm not going to go into the details of it. That will also be put, the link will be put in the description box. Please follow that link. I just want to look at verse 21. His response is fired up. Then his servant said to him, what is this you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. And then he says something. Yes, and he said, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether the... Oh, I love that, that transition. You know what has happened now? He has come to the point where he knows that his relationship has been restored with God. I love that. That is faith. That is faith. You know, uh, Piper uses the word, he calls it gutsy guilt. What guilt? Gutsy, gutsy guilt. Micah 7. No? Turn there. Micah 7. It was 8 and 9, 7, 8, 9 actually, very easy to remember. Therefore I will look to the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation, my God will hear me, do not rejoice me over my, over me my enemy. When I will fall, I will, when I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be what? Light unto me. And then, I will bear the indignation of the Lord, because I have sinned against him. That's what I said. Micah says I have sinned and David also says I have sinned but this is what is called as gutsy guilt until he pleads my case and executes justice. How did he plead his case? By hyssop, the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb that was slain for your sin and for my sin. Until he pleads my case and executes justice for me. He will bring uh, bring me forth to the light. And I will see not my righteousness, his righteousness. And then what will will happen next? (laughs) Then she who is my enemy will see. And shame will cover her face. Who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her. Now she will be trampled down like what? Mud. Let's go back now. To for Second Samuel chapter uh, twelve and verse twenty-one. Sorry, uh, twenty-two. Yes, and he said, "While the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child might live? But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? Look at his confidence. How do I know he has faith? How do I know that he has got restored?" I will go to him. He shall not return to me. That's remarkable. That is faith. That is how we know his repentance is what? Genuine. 
He is not trusting in any of his deeds. He is completely abandoning himself to the mercy of God. Let's move on. Verse 24. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife. How could he comfort Bathsheba? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And let's read from verse 3 onwards. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of what? Mercies and the God of all comfort. What do you, how does he start Psalm 51? Have mercy on me, O God. The God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all our tribulation or temptation. That we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So he goes to Bathsheba now. <coughs> and verse 24. Then David comforted Bathsheba, his wife, and went into her and lay with her. So she bore a son, and he called his name what? Solomon. Now the Lord loved him. But you know what? Something else is going to happen now. And he sent word by the hand of Nathan the prophet. So he called his name. Oh, who's that Yadadai? It's a Yadadai. Actually, you know what? Yah. Davud, that's the word actually. Now God loves David. That's how it is now. Yadadaya. Yadadya. The construction is so beautiful. He is the one beloved of God. Beloved of Yahweh. Just like his father. So he called his name Jedadaya because of the Lord. You know, this is a tremendous lesson and tremendous hope. Isn't it? That if there is God, if there is no hope with God, then where do, where do we stand? We'll all go home with the depression. But thank God, we have a father who will hide his face from our Sin, because he show his face to Jesus. <clears throat> but let us be careful with the leaven in our hearts. Go with First Corinthians <clears throat> chapter one, chapter five, please. Verse six. <clears throat> Your glorying is not good. Obviously, no, no more glorying for David. No. All glorying is out. Because he is the just and the justifier. Therefore, there is no boasting in his presence. Do you not know that a little, little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, what should you do now? From now on, verse 7. Therefore, purge out the old leaven inside of you, that you may be made a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. Why? For indeed, Christ our Passover, upon whose blood you put your trust, has been sacrificed for 
us. And then verse 8, Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So don't hide your face. Hide your sin from God. If you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to cleanse you from all your unrighteousness and to grant you absolute a right standing with God just as if you have never sinned. He is able to give you a new heart. Not just give you a new heart. Create in you a new heart. You will be born again. Once again. And God is going to be is able to write his law on the tables of your heart and cause you to walk in his ways. We'll stop here, my dear brothers. But beware of the leaven in the beloved. Amen. Let's purge out the old leaven. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just pray, Father, for all of us. We all have leaven. The leaven of hypocrisy. Grant us grace to deal with every vestige of sin in our lives and in our hearts. Even as we come under the ministry of your word and cause us to walk in your ways. We thank you. We praise you. We give you glory, honor and praise. For in Jesus name, Amen, Amen.